Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. The Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Pulo starts now. Power in the cartoon world. A podcast, and I was told that if I did your podcast, that I would, you know, advance to the next level. And we're podcasting and photographizing in front of the great. The worst gigs of their life are, are because of Mark <laughs> Anyone want a husband? Free, free to a home. Now it doesn't even have to be a good home. Just free to a home. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant would like to do his impression. Oh, Willie Nelson. Suck yourself dry! Alright. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I am Mark Poulos. We are in the car, driving home from some shows. I got Johnny Russell in the car. Hello, fans and friends of the show. We are going to be taping a ride home slash political extravaganza. I thought it would be interesting to talk on the show a little bit about politics. I don't know why I've become so interested in this political cycle, but obviously I feel like a lot of people have with the amount of people that are turning out for these uh, primaries. And uh, Johnny Russell is a expert when it comes to the history of politics in America. So for the next 90 minutes, here's John Russell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait, I was going to say, in this podcast, we are going to cover at least 80 miles, and you'll hear all of our, I would say, best estimates and how this political season is going to turn out, at least from the presidential side, I mean, for the rest of them, who gives a shit? That's true. I think the, the, the first most interesting piece about uh, the primaries, which I didn't know, and if I didn't know, and the amount of useless information that I have in my brain, I feel like a lot of other people don't know. And the interesting point of it is, a lot of people believe that the primary elections are like the general elections where they go and they vote and who they vote for, the person that gets the most votes becomes the candidate for president. And this guy on NBC or CNBC explained it and it makes a lot of sense, which I don't think a lot of people think about, is the political parties choose their candidate. America doesn't choose the candidates. So even though Donald Trump has all the votes and most of the delegates, if he doesn't get the magic number of 1,237 delegates before they have the Republican conference, they can just pretty much choose whoever they want to be president. It could be somebody we haven't even heard of or seen. They could choose Mitt Romney or or Paul Ryan or Bob Jackson from Wisconsin if they felt like something. Bob Jackson's an asshole, but what I'm saying here is it's crazy because that is correct. Most people don't realize that. In fact, 
my 77-year-old mother went to the Iowa caucuses for the very first time in her entire life because of all of this, because she doesn't like Donald Trump. She's a Republican. She doesn't like Donald Trump. And she went to vote for Ben Carson, who didn't stand a chance in fucking hell. Uh, oh, but poor Ben. I know. It, but that guy just is the weirdest guy ever. He, he stands at the podium. He looks like a tiny pterodactyl. I'm, he, I'm here to uh, spare. I want to talk about something. I want to say something. Well, let's just say that my mother wasted all of her time at the caucus. <laughs> because there was never a chance. But that's the point of all of this, is for people to go to these things and express their desire for someone to represent their desires, it's not an out-and-out vote. Yeah. Well, what, what, what people might not realize is, like, there's... The majority of the delegates, and what, like, a delegate is, is basically a person that you choose from your state to go to the convention to represent your state. And the majority of them are what they call, I'll call bound delegates, which means that when they go to the convention, they'll take the first vote, and whatever your state, whatever the majority of your state voted for, you have to vote for that candidate on the first ballot. So if they do the first ballot and Trump doesn't have 1,237 delegates, and he doesn't get the nomination, that's where shit gets weird. So that's when the second vote, they can start deciding who else it's going to be. So that's why the Republicans are trying so hard to fucking block Trump from getting the 1237 so they can have a contested convention, I think it's called. Is that what it's called? Yes, contested, brokered, many different terms, all pretty much the same thing. But the reality is this, if, 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 because people are so blinded, so f- f- micro-focused on what they want to do, on their own desires, <clears throat> it would be very easy to see that the Republican number of delegates needed to win is totally different from the number of delegates needed to win for the Democrats. They're both run totally differently which also leads to another question yeah everybody hates Trump but a lot of people hate Hillary too and a lot of people like Bernie but this is the opposite of the Trump fiasco is that the Democratic Party wants Hillary to be the nominee they don't like Bernie and so it's exactly the opposite the popular uh, favorite in, in the Democrats is actually Bernie Sanders, but the Democratic Party doesn't like him, and they want to jam Hillary down everybody's throat. Do you, uh, now on the Democratic side, the Republicans don't have superdelegates, but the Democrats for some reason have these things called superdelegates. Do you, I, I'm still confused on what exactly a superdelegate is. It's, I, the way that it was explained to me is like, there's delegates where they have one vote, and then there's these super delegates that have like a hundred votes or something. 
Do you have any idea what a super delicate is? Yeah, it's just like if you're on one of these internet forum sites and you're on a forum and you get to vote on something and you get three votes. You can vote one or two or three. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's also insane because every one of these parties, what they do is they, they complicate their system so that nobody knows what the hell it is other than them. And, and you know, as, as we were as we were riding from the lovely Sedan, Kansas, to Hill City, uh, South Dakota, uh, a, a lovely. If, by the way, if you ever make that trip, just start gargling salt water. Don't do My it. My God, don't do it. What have we done? That was 13 hours so, yeah. of just side highways oh from God. Kansas to well, South hey, let's, Dakota. Let's be fair. We did drive on Interstate 80 for almost two hours. That is right. We did one 127 miles on Highway 80. But but let's get back to the politics. Yes. Have we, you seen the video called uh, Hillary Clinton lying for 13 minutes straight? <laughs> Have you seen that video? No, but I don't doubt that it's there. They literally like have like her saying something like in 2000 and then they flash like the campaign now and it's completely different you know what i think i'm gonna do i'm gonna we're gonna watch that video right now okay and i'm gonna clip the audio into the show so that people can hear it and then after we watch it we can we'll we'll comment it comment on it on the podcast and i think that'll be fun so listen to this video it's 13 minutes of hillary clinton lying straight and uh, after it, we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Do you think New York State should recognize gay marriage? No. No. Okay. I believe that marriage is not just a bond, but a sacred bond between a man and a woman. I have uh, not uh, supported same-sex marriage. I have supported civil partnerships and uh, contractual relationships. I support marriage for lesbian and gay couples. I support it personally and as a matter of policy and law. So you're saying your opinion on gay marriage changed, or you changed your mind? <laughs> you know, I really, I have to say, I think you are um, being just, very persistent, but you are playing with my words and playing with what is such an I'm just trying to clarify issue. so I can understand. No, I don't think you are trying to clarify. <laughs> okay. I think you're trying to say that, you know, I used to be uh, opposed and now I'm in favor and I did it for political reasons. And that's just flat wrong. So let me just state what I feel like you are implying and repudiate it. I have a strong record. I have a great commitment to this issue and I am proud of what I've done and the progress we're making. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm sorry, I, I just want to clarify what I was saying. No, I, I was saying that you maybe really believe this all along, but, you know, believed in gay marriage all along, but felt for political reasons, America wasn't ready yet and you couldn't say it. That's what I was thinking. No, that, no, that is not true. <laughs> it really is great how long you've supported gay marriage. Yes. I, I could have supported it sooner. Well, you did it pretty soon. Could have been sooner. Fair point. Just uh, in July, New Hampshire, you told the crowd you, quote, take a backseat to no one when it comes to progressive values. I take a backseat to no one when you look at my record and standing up and fighting for progressive values. Last month in Ohio, you said you plead guilty to, quote, being kind of moderate and center. 
Do you change your political identity based on who you're talking to? No, I think that uh, like most people that I know, I have a range of views, but they are rooted in my values and my experience. You know, I get accused of being kind of moderate and center. I plead guilty. Just for the record, are you a progressive or are you a moderate? I'm a progressive. Going through the emails, um, there were over 60,000 in total sent and received. About half were work-related and went to the State Department, um, and about half were personal that were not in any way related to my work. When you speak to the public, you say, I turned over everything. That's, for the most part, a direct quote. When you talk to the public, you say, I turned over everything. 90 to 95 percent of my work-related emails were in the state system. If they wanted to that, see them, they would certainly have been able to do so. You know what? So. That, that, is, that is maybe the tenth time you have cited that figure today. It is. And I have not heard anyone other than you ever cite that figure. Who, who told you that 90 to 95 percent of your emails were, on the state, were in the State Department system? Who told you that? We learned that from the State Department and their analysis of the, of the emails that were already on the system. The Inspector General report found that less than 1%, less than 1% of State Department emails, record emails, were captured. So they give a number of less than 1% and you give a number of 90%. I have uh, absolute confidence that everything that could be in any way uh, connected to work is now in the possession of the uh, State Department. This pile represents the emails that you sent or received about Libya in 2011, from February through December of 2011. This pile represents the emails you sent or received from early 2012 until the day of the attack. There are 795 emails in this pile. We've counted them. There are 67 emails in this pile in 2012. And I'm troubled by what I see here. I can only conclude by your own records that there was a lack of interest in Libya in 2012. Uh, the server contains uh, personal communications from my husband and me. The only time I got on the internet, I did two emails and I ordered Christmas presents from a reservation. <laughs> Otherwise, I found people said embarrassing things on emails. I didn't want to be one of them. I mean, and how many angels dance on the head of a pin? I have, I, I have, uh, I have really uh, nothing to, uh, I mean, how do you answer that? I represented Wall Street as a senator from New York, and I went to Wall Street in December of 2007, before the big crash that we had, and I basically said, cut it out. Quit foreclosing on homes. Quit engaging in these kinds of speculative behaviors. Now, who's exactly to blame for the housing crisis? I think there's plenty of uh, blame to go around. Home buyers who paid extra fees to avoid documenting their income should have known they were getting in over their heads. Of course, we have to deal with the problem that the banks are still too big to fail. We can never let the American taxpayer and middle-class families ever have to bail out the kind of speculative behavior that we saw. But we also have to worry about some of the other players. AIG, a big insurance company, Lehman Brothers, an investment bank. There's this whole area called shadow banking. 
That's where the experts tell me the next potential problem could come from. So I'm with both Senator Sanders and Governor O'Malley Actually, in putting not. a lot of attention onto the banks. And the plan that I have put forward would actually empower regulators to break up big banks. I represented New York, and I represented New York on 9-11. When we were attacked, where were we attacked? We were attacked in downtown Manhattan, where Wall Street is. I did spend a whole lot of time and effort helping them rebuild. That was good for New York, it was good for the economy, and it was a way to rebuke the terrorists who had attacked our country. 9-11 was bad. I agree with that. Time and time again, you hear one thing in speeches, and then you see a campaign that has the worst kind of tactics, reminiscent of the same sort of Republican attacks on Democrats. Well, I am here to say that it is not only wrong, but it is undermining core Democratic principles. Since when do Democrats attack one another on universal health care? I have looked at, I've looked at the legislation that Senator Sanders has proposed, and basically he does eliminate the Affordable Care Act, eliminates private insurance, eliminates Medicare, eliminates Medicaid, TRICARE, Children's Health Insurance Program. Just because Senator Obama chose not to present a universal health care plan does not give him the right to attack me because I did. So let's have a real campaign. Enough with the speeches and the big rallies and then using tactics that are right out of Karl Rove's playbook. This is wrong, and every Democrat should be outraged. The Democratic Party in the United States worked since Harry Truman to get the Affordable Care Act passed. So shame on you, Barack Obama. It is time you ran a campaign consistent with your messages in public. Hillary Clinton's attempt to tout her foreign policy experience hounded her again on the campaign trail today. I made, uh, you know, I uh, made a, a mistake in, in describing it. I she claimed she misspoke last week and was sleep deprived when she described landing under sniper fire in Tuzla, Bosnia, something that didn't happen. But CBS News has found several times in the past few months when Senator Clinton used the Bosnia trip to try to show her international experience. December in Iowa. You know, we landed in one of those corkscrew landings and ran out because they said there might be sniper fire. I don't remember anybody offering me tea on the tarmac when that was happening. Then in February. The welcoming ceremony had to be moved inside because of sniper fire. And last week. And, uh, I remember landing under sniper fire. We basically were told to run to our cars. Now that is what happened. Just some differing accounts of your trip to Bosnia, and I'm wondering if you can clarify. I know you, you recall uh, you know, ducking under sniper fire, and, and Sinbad in his account who's on the trip, he, he said that the most dangerous part was remembering where he was going to eat next. Did, did you He's a comedian, you know, Jeff. <laughs> He's a comedian. So you actually recall, you know, hearing gunfire and were you when we were When we were flying into Bosnia, we came in in a uh, evasive maneuver. Um, there was no greeting ceremony and we basically were told to run to our cars. Now that is what happened. After CBS News video showed what really happened when she landed and greeted officials, Senator Clinton maintained there were risks, but explained to the Philadelphia Daily News why she was seen on the Bosnian tarmac greeting a young child if it was really so dangerous. I was also told that the greeting ceremony had been moved away from the uh, tarmac, but that there was this eight-year-old girl, and I said, well, I, have, I can't, 
I can't rush by her. I've got to at least greet her. So I greeted her, I took her stuff, and I left. Now that's my memory of it. Good to see you. Once again, her memory doesn't match our videotape. <laughs> she and her daughter Chelsea lingered on the tarmac to greet U.S. military officials, took photos. There was the group of seventh graders on the tarmac, too. And then Senator Clinton walked to the armored vehicle where she did eventually duck and enter. It was one of the highlights of President Clinton's first term, passage of the North American Free Trade Agreement, also known as NAFTA. Critics blame NAFTA for the loss of manufacturing jobs in industrial states, including Ohio and Pennsylvania. Hillary Clinton helped get NAFTA approved. She held at least five meetings to strategize about how to win congressional approval. She helped the White House block opposition from labor and environmental groups, and she was the featured speaker at a crucial meeting. Participants in that event said, quote, her remarks were totally pro-NAFTA. There was no equivocation for her support for NAFTA at the time. You know, I have been a critic of NAFTA from the very beginning. My concerns about NAFTA expressed years ago have been well uh, documented and verified. I didn't have a public position on it. I have spoken uh, consistently uh, against uh, NAFTA. And if you look at what I have been saying, it has been consistent. I have been consistent. You can go back and look at from the very beginning. I was one of the voices in the administration warning about NAFTA. You said it was good on balance for New York and America in 2004. And now you're in Ohio, and your words are much different, Senator. The record is very clear. Well, I, I, you don't have all the records, because you can go back and look at what I've said consistently. Oh, I think that uh, everybody is in favor of free and fair trade, and I think that uh, uh, NAFTA is proving its worth. I think on balance, NAFTA has been good for New York and America. Was NAFTA a mistake? NAFTA was a mistake to the extent that it did not deliver on what we had hoped it would. Your opponents are saying that that's really part of a larger pattern with you, that you often avoid taking firm positions on controversial issues. Um, 13 minutes straight of Hillary Clinton lying, Johnny. Well, what are your thoughts? To be fair, uh, it was edited. To be fair, she's an old woman who probably can't remember anyway. Uh, but some of that stuff is pretty blatant. Dude, that Bosnia thing. <laughs> In and if of you, itself. If you have time. You have to go and watch the video. It's just called Hillary Clinton lying for 13 minutes straight because the audio is pretty damning, but the video is horrible <laughs> because not only like did she say once or twice that they had to do evasive maneuvers to land and they were under sniper fire and they had to run to their cars, and then they show the CBS video of her lackadaisically crawling off the plane and she's on the tarmac taking pictures with children and school kids and meeting the military for god knows who how long and then strolls on over and gets into the car and heads out of there i'll tell you what this is the thing that surprises me all the other stuff yeah i mean i don't think a lot of politicians do that because they they really their job is to just make up shit and get people to vote for them and support them and they don't care and and, and, and to single out Hillary Clinton I think is uh, is a little bit disingenuous to others who have done that I mean George Bush did that uh, his, his father George HW did that uh, that's what they do 
And so that's a little bit rough. But I will say this, the Bosnian thing absolutely should, should kick her off of being any potential candidate. Because think about this, Brian Williams lost his job as an NBC news anchor because he basically said the same thing. Yeah. And Hillary took that piece of his playbook and runs it up the flagpole numerous times. I think the most ridiculous one was where she was speaking to whoever and she said, we had to run out and sniper fire. Yeah. Nobody offered me tea on the tarmac that day. What? Yeah. Well, that's just because that little girl that gave her presents didn't have tea, the dummy. And she, she goes, well, what am I going to not say hi to a little girl? Like, I took her stuff and I got out of there. Like, no, you didn't, Hillary. It should be little girl, little girl. Run from the sniper fire. She doesn't even care about little children. Dude, I. they were talking on, they were talking, uh, on one of the shows a while back about, about uh, Benghazi. And why everybody is so focused in on Benghazi? Because a lot, a lot of people believe that that those people could have been saved, like in some kind of a uh, a Navy SEAL yeah. extraction plan. And and once you look at all the evidence, um, there really wasn't an opportunity for them to actually get the people out of there. But the biggest problem that people have is that they didn't even try. Yeah. Was the problem. Like, if they had somehow scrambled the helicopters and sent them that way, and maybe, like, halfway there, they were like, you know, there's not much we can do. They've already stormed the castle. Everybody's dead. Yeah. Turn the birds around or whatever. But the fact that they knew about the dangers over there and didn't have an extraction plan and didn't send the Hueys that way is the real big problem that they have with Hillary and Obama and Benghazi. Well, I mean, it boils down to this. People are very oblivious to these things. And a lot of times when people will put something up like Hillary Clinton lies for 13 minutes straight... People that support Hillary are just like, oh, well, that's edited and you're being mean to her. And that's one thing that Hillary does very well. She plays the victim very well. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that's a skill that a politician, I guess, should have. But Do you, you think can, she has a little bit of, of the residual uh, compassion, at least from the woman vote, because of the whole Monica Lewinsky thing? I think that's possible. I don't... I don't know that that's necessarily... I don't know that it's Monica Lewinsky, but I do think that there is an association with the fact that she's a woman. Uh, and and yeah. I, I believe older women probably uh, feel like that is an important thing. I can't, I, I can't speak to it because I'm not an older woman, obviously. Yeah. Um, but... Dude, I, somebody put a meme up yesterday. <laughs> ah, it said... Uh, Said the joke's on Hillary because if she wins the presidency, she's gonna have to sit at the same desk that Monica Lewinsky was underneath. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. That's nice. That is rough to it's, even think about. Yeah. Well, and another another meme that I saw maybe last week, 
I think, was Hillary made the statement, I don't know where Bernie Sanders was in the 90s when I was working on health care. And then they show a picture of him standing right behind her I love that. on the podium. Well, that was the other big thing, too, like a lot of people don't know, is when, when Bill Clinton was president, he put his wife in charge of choosing the health care plan. Yeah. And she had no experience with choosing health care plans or politics or... I mean, she was a lawyer, right? Right. Like a corporate lawyer. Yeah. And it, she's in charge of choosing the health care plan for America? I, I will say this. I, I don't... I have... Honestly, I have no idea who I would vote for at this point. Because I think... There are two really horrible choices that are the front runners, yeah. and I think as we, and we talked about this driving well, yeah, that yesterday, they put out that poll on CNN that said that uh, this is the first time in history that the two front runners could be the most disliked candidates in the entire. Like fifty-five percent of people can't stand Trump, and like forty percent of America can't stand Hillary. Here's here's what here's what we do know, and I mean I think this is very very clear. We do know that if Trump, by whatever reason, and, and this is because the Republicans are morons. Um, we heard yesterday though, they were talking about it on one of the political shows that the reason that they put in some rule about. The only people you can vote for on the first ballot at the at the convention are people that have won at least eight states. They did that because they didn't want Rand Paul or Ron Paul, Ron Paul, I think, to get in there and make a bunch of noise when they wanted Mitt Romney to be the candidate. They didn't take that out, and now they're stuck with it with Trump because there's nobody. He's the only one that's won eight states. Yeah. That is actually pretty funny. It's like you... They screwed themselves yeah, in their ass. Absolutely. And, and they deserve it. So we know this. If Trump becomes the Republican candidate, the, the chance that there will be a Tea Party candidate is probably close to 90%. Yeah. Well, we like we were saying, if, if they force Hillary down our throats again... There's no doubt that Bernie Sanders is going to be the independent candidate. I, I, I agree with that, too. And so, in, in, in many ways, this is the most divisive campaign season that there's ever been in this country. But by the same token, this could be the first time that there are four actual viable choices on the ballot, which would be absolutely fantastic in my mind. And think about this, too. I didn't even know this. I was listening to a show the other day that if that happens, if we have four candidates that are all vying for the electoral votes in the presidential election and we get to the end of it, because there's a threshold that a candidate has to cross as far as the electoral votes go to become the president of the United States, if that doesn't happen, if they don't cross that threshold, it actually goes to Congress for them to decide who our president is going to be. And if that's the case, if Congress is deciding, guess what, guys? They're not deciding between the four people that ran for president. They're deciding between whoever they want. They could make anybody president at that point. Can you imagine the state of America 
if Congress decided who our president is going to be? Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the general public would go insane because they don't understand that this is a possibility. And, <coughs> excuse me, it, it's, it's just, to, to be honest, it's exciting. This could truly change the face of how things are done in this country. This could be, I hate to say it, but a linchpin to anarchy here because I guarantee you there's a certain amount of the population that that just absolutely would go bonkers. Well, there's a there's a large amount of, of the population that do not trust anything the government does right now. Right. They think everybody's screwing us, everybody's doing backdoor plans and and it's it's a pretty viable place to come from with the shit that we see happening behind the scenes and the stuff that goes down. There's a lot of sketchy shit going on that we don't know about, you know? There's a lot of people that just blindly believe that the government tells us everything that we need to know. And we find out when they declassify a lot of paperwork from like the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, they don't fucking tell us everything. Right. I'm a, I'll tell you, I'm a firm believer in this, and, and, and people think that I'm a nut, but I'm a firm believer that the the Democrats and Republicans, to a degree, once everything's said and done, work together to make sure that the, the, the country still stays divided, because when the country is in a little bit of uh, polarized, it's good for both parties, and it, it's good for both parties because... Most people will say, "Ah, I'm a Republican and I don't like this," or "I'm a Democrat and I don't like this," and they because they don't know enough about how the system works. But I believe that they do that. They confuse the general public so that we don't. We're so busy being mad about X or Y or Z that we don't see what they're really pulling. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I've done a bunch of podcasts on conspiracy theories and the the government shadow games and stuff like that and it's it's uh, amazing like the, the certain things that go on behind the scenes when something big is distracting everybody yeah it's like uh, I was talking about the other day that the top three stories on CNN the other day were about Trump and the fourth story was about North Korea firing ballistic missiles into the ocean my point of view seems like a pretty important story that North Korea is testing ballistic missiles or that Russia is pulling out of Syria or that, uh, you know, ISIS is collecting together in this, like, one Libyan town, you know? It's like, we're, we're worried about a fucking billionaire that has a reality show that might become president. And, and the truth of the matter is, like, whoever becomes president... Like, they're not a dictator. They can't just fucking do whatever they want. Like, that's why there's checks and balances. You know, he might try to pull some executive order shit, but he still has to go through Congress. Right. And he still has to go through the right channels. I mean, he might be an asshole and piss off, like, all the world leaders around the world and and agitate things and whatever, but... Are things really working out in our favor right now with being nice with people in the Middle East and giving them money and and 
uh, you know, sanctuary and weapons and everything like this. You know, I, from my point of view, I feel like we should pull all the fucking troops back from everywhere and just let the chips fall where they may. Is that a bad idea? Well, I, d- I don't, I don't know if that's uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. And I don't, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I know that in some cases military presence is necessary, but in a lot of cases, in a lot of places around around the world, our military is it is just that. It's just a presence, and and it helps with a lot of things. In the Middle East, yeah, I don't know if it helps anything. And the reality is that if it, it, I, I, I mean I, I'm a firm believer in if there's a problem over there, let the people solve it on their on their own. Yeah. Well, I, f- I feel like a lot of people, at least in the, uh, for sure in the Middle East, but a lot of other places around the country, like they have bad views of America because they look at us as like the world police. Like we go into places and like tell people how they're supposed to be doing things, what they should be doing, and, like, this is... And and I know a lot of the times it just comes from a a sense of our allies and what they feel that things should go this way, but when we're out there on the ground doing this stuff, it it always lands on our shoulders. Yeah, and I think, think too, in, in, in some cases, I mean, look... The, the, Saddam Hussein was a horrible dictator, and uh, does does that mean that he would have just handed it on down to his children? I don't know. It seems like in every case in history where there's a horrible dictator, if if you give the people enough time, they'll find a way to solve it. We went in and solved a problem that most of the people in Iraq probably are like, oh, yay, Saddam Hussein's gone, but there's probably some people that resent the fact that it was the United States that did it more than they they like living under a dictator. Yeah. But I mean, getting back to our point, what the topic of the show is, I don't trust a word that comes out of Hillary's mouth, and there's nobody that can convince me that she's even remotely trustworthy. And what's funny, I think the difference between Hillary and Trump, Hillary lies all the time, but she covers it up and and calls people, you know, names for calling her a liar. Trump, on the other hand, he just lies all the time and nobody seems to care. He doesn't know. I think people care, but I don't think he cares, you know? Well, they they showed that clip the other day where apparently there was a commercial where a bunch of women were reading some of the things that he said about women that were really harsh and, you know, really demeaning. And it was an attack ad against Trump. And he went on, I think it was uh, Frontline or, or Hardball with Chris, whatever his name is. And he asked him about the ad. And he said, yeah, I saw the ad. He goes, I don't think it's uh, representative. I think it's out of context, blah, blah, blah. And four minutes later, he went on CNN. And they asked him if he's seen the ad. And he said, uh, you know, I haven't actually seen it yet. But uh, I've heard about it and blah, 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 or whatever. And... You know, they try to put that up as him blatantly lying, but is it like maybe maybe he misspoke in the first interview, like he's not actually seen it, but his advisors have told him about it and he feels like it's not representative and out of context? I, that, that's entirely possible, but I'm also seeing him where he'll say, 
Uh, yeah, I don't remember saying that. And that's just it. And that's it. And that's it. If you don't want to accept that I don't remember saying it, that's I may I may have said it. You know, I may have. I don't know. But the, I think the funniest part about the whole Republican thing is everybody hates Trump, but who else is there? There's nobody because they're such idiots. I mean, you got fucking, you got Kasich, who I actually like. I think he's a good guy. I think he's, he's as comp- delusional as the day is oh, long. Oh, he's so de- that that acceptance speech when he won Ohio was probably the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh man, it's like yes, and then I'll also win the Indy 500. And Daytona. And I'll see you next week when I walk on the moon, guys. Bye. Yay. Yay. Ted Cruz is just a creepy liar, too. But he's... God, he's a creep, man. He's just creepy. His face is so weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't even... That, uh... Have have you seen the bad lip-reading Ted Cruz? Oh, no. I gotta uh, So, I... Oh my god, I'm sure I'll that's ha- fantastic. I'll have to clip that in right now. <laughs> but it's hard, you know, I maybe I won't clip it cuz it's it's a visual. You kind of have to watch his bad lip reading cuz he's sitting there with his wife and stuff and he's saying like really creepy stuff. <laughs> but maybe I'll put it on after the credits. After the credits me and Johnny are actually going to do dueling Donald Trumps. So it'll be pretty funny. So I'll put that in, uh, and I'll put the Ted Cruz after it, too. One guy we haven't talked about yet, and probably uh, seems like the one that's stirring up the most hornet's nest right now is Bernie Sanders. What are are your thoughts on Bernie Sanders? I think, this is just my personal feeling, I think that out of the people that are running, I think Bernie Sanders seems the most sincere. And that's always been the way that I've picked who I'm going to vote for. Yeah. Does that mean I'm going to vote for him? I don't know. Um, it depends on how everything turns out. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. I was on radio for 17 years. In the last the last four years or so, I was on talk radio, and, and uh, I got to interview and talk with a lot of political figures. Um, and uh, it, to be honest, that was the point where I really started to see how people came across because when you talk to somebody and they're not on the air with you and and then they all of them sudden change and are different when they're on the air it makes a little light bulb go off and say oh I get this um, one person who was not like that was uh, uh, oh I can't I can't think of her name now the, the, the sen- our senator the lady senator oh Michelle Bach no, no, no. Michelle Bachman's a chunk of fuck. <laughs> the, the, the good one. The, the Oh, what the Amy fuck Klobuchar. Is, yeah, there you go. <clears throat> I love Amy Klobuchar. She is very sincere and, and very dedicated to public service. Um, and and, and I, I, I met a number of people on the air in interviews that were that are no longer in public service that were just completely different people when I talked to them off the air as opposed to when the mic went on. And it just was amazing to me that they became this kind of, uh, I'm not going to I'm not gonna say what I think. I'm well, going to say what I need to say. You know what? People, people get angry because they're like, you know, 
politicians are two different people. It's like fucking wrestling, you know? It like is. Like, when they're, when they're on mic, they're playing their character, and when they're off mic, they're just a regular person, and... And I think that's the problem a lot of people have with politicians is the, the lights and the microphone come on and they're just telling you what you want to hear. And I think that's why people love Trump so much, even though, he, you know, people see him as a bigot or a racist and just out of his goddamn mind. He's just saying what he wants to say. He's not filtering himself. He's not pandering to the... Well, maybe he is pandering to the audience a bit, but he's just saying what he wants to say. Like... A lot of people have a problem with Bernie Sanders because he's preaching uh, a little bit of democratic socialism, which is kind of like, you know, take money from the rich and give it to the poor and, yeah. and spread it out a little bit. And I don't know, you know, the, the tax structure that he released is not that much different than what it is right now as far as the IRS taxes go. It I, should, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, I think I, I agree with you because I think that's why a lot of people like Trump because they they realize that he probably just that's he the way he talks when he's at a podium is the same way that he would talk if you ran into him in somewhere which you never would run into him yeah. but it's the same thing that he would probably say when he's at home talking to his wife or his kids. Or, or himself whatever. in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Donald, you're awesome. You're doing great, Donald. You're doing great. And <laughs> but the point is that that Bernie, I know a lot of people think that he's just a flat out socialist. And and a lot of people have a huge problem with that. A lot of people don't. It's it it's I mean I think the key is He's at least kind of focusing his campaign on the fact that he's not he's not being run by the lobbyists and the billionaires. Right. He's got all the the little donations and he flies coach and he does all this stuff. I mean he feels a lot like Ron Paul. Right. And I think I think the difference between he and Trump is that he is somewhat meek in comparison to what Trump is. I don't think he's a meek guy, but no. in comparison to Trump, everybody is a pussy. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean it's just it's <laughs> like it's just like yeah, here's here's this guy and he comes out into the he's just used to going into the boardroom whipping his big old dick out onto the table and going, "Here's what we're doing." And, and yeah. everybody's like, yes, Mr. Trump. I think my favorite thing in the world about this political cycle right now is is when uh, Republican people that are in charge or people that are uh, the heads of other campaigns like Ted Cruz and, and Kasich's campaign, they get them on and they start asking them about how does the political landscape look when Trump wins the nomination they never concede the fact that that's a possibility. <laughs> They're always talking about there's so much time left. There's so many delegates left. This is a long race and, and you know, it's not sewn up for Donald Trump. And I swear to God, as soon as the cameras go off and they take their microphones off, they're like, we gotta stop this fucking guy! <laughs> it's like, here's the thing. The best analogy that I can think of is Trump is like a rash 
that you keep thinking, nah, it's gonna go away, and then it never does, and now, now you gotta go to the doctor, and now it's really fucking serious, because you waited too fucking long to get the antibiotics, and now you gotta have a fucking skin graft, because you were too fucking chicken shit about, oh, it'll just go away, and it won't go away, because you're not honest about that goddamn rash you got from banging a hooker back in Rapid City. Thanks for tuning in to the uh, unbridled. <laughs> I gotta end it. That's such a great ending. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed uh, two comics in a car talking politics. Stay tuned after the credits for uh, dueling Donald Trumps and possibly uh, the Ted Cruz bad lip reading. Um, you can always get this podcast at Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher, and uh, LargeDrunkMan.com for my upcoming dates. You got uh, social media to plug there, Johnny? Yeah, you can look me up. It's JohnRussellComedy.com. At JR is my Twitter, and you can track me down on Facebook, too. You got anything this weekend you want to push? No, no. Uh, One of my friends is working a club that I really wanted to work at, and he never asked me if I'd like to join him, so... uh... I'll be at Hey Guys Comedy Club this weekend. March uh, 25th and 26th. Uh, I think there's one show Friday and two Saturday. If you live in the St. Louis or surrounding areas, please come out and check me out at Hey Guys Comedy Club. John Russell will not be there. Uh, Some other guy. Um, But yeah, I appreciate you tuning in and tune in next time when we talk about who knows. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to an historic event today. Today we are having a debate between Donald Trump and Donald Trump. It's a historic day. Donald too. A lot of people say that your stance on China is a very slippery slope. What are your feelings about China and their role in America? Well, here's what I know about China. China is a country that's great. They do a lot of great things in China. I know a lot of people and do a lot of business deals in China, and they're great. And so uh, I really think China is amazing, and we're going to do great. Donald won. Same question. Well, let me tell you something, okay? I have a lot of friends. They live in China. They eat Chinese food, they've had egg rolls, they come around here, and I'm not saying I know everything about China. What I'm saying is, China is a country. Thank you. (laughs) Donald Tu, your stance on illegal immigrants coming in from Mexico is probably one of the harshest stance on illegal immigration that we have ever heard in any of the political cycles. You want to put up a wall, you want Mexico to build it. What is your exact plan for the Mexico wall building scenario? Well, let me tell you this. In China, they have a great wall, and we're going to have a great wall too. We're going to have a wall, and we're going to build it, 
and we're going to make Mexico pay for it because they also want a great wall and they're going to think it's great and we'll think it's great and all the immigrants, they won't think it's great. They'll think it's horrible, but that's their problem. And so we're going to do this and it'll be great. Donald one, same question. Let me tell you something. I've had a lot of chimichangas in my life. A lot. Okay. And I love Mexicans, okay? I've had many eh, Tijuana prostitutes in my life, and I gotta tell you, they know their way around a ball sack, okay? Now, as far as the wall's concerned, it will be built. How, you say? That's my fucking business. Donald, two, last question. The middle class in America is shrinking. There are no jobs. Jobs are going overseas. Um, there's just no more manufacturing in this company. What is your big, giant plan to get America working again? Well, first of all, I want to say that I think this has been a great debate. Uh, I think Donald number one sounds a lot like uh, the Macho Man on Quaaludes, uh, but that's his problem. That's not my problem. I didn't. It's not my. You know what he does is his. I don't know. But as far as the middle class goes, I think we're great. And the thing about the middle class is they're amazing people who do amazing things. And it, it helps our country be great. And so what we're going to do is not give away the jobs anymore. We're going to keep them and it'll be great. And the people will love it. And that's why I think people like me because they know I'm great. Donald one, same question. I just like to say Donald two sounds a lot like John Russell. <laughs> And he never fucking says anything. Everything's great. Everything's great. I have real ideas. I have real ways of putting people back to work. Let me tell you, I have a lot of friends who work jobs, okay? And jobs lead to money. And money buys things like cars and hookers and walls in Mexico. Drop the fucking mic. Hmm. I'd like to stick garden gnomes in this building. Yeah, I guess you would. Oh, hi. Death will find you soon. Not sure you'll be remembered. You're the devil. That little boy has like a thousand freckles and everybody's all, ooh, like there's goobers on his bod. I'm done listening. <laughs> you know, Ted's always kind of freaky. He eats hair. Human hair. He's the first one to say, Let's go out and eat hair. It's wonderful now and again. See? Mm, hair. If there's one thing our country doesn't need more of, it's goose diarrhea. <laughs> I heard you got orange rugs here. That's a lie. Hey, could you cut me a rug here? A rug? Yeah, an orange one. Mm, no, we don't make them. I know. This one's a classic. 
Jordan the Centipede taught me a card trick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You got happy cheer. Ooh, look. I went down to the summer camp and took a can of gasoline. Don't light the cabins on fire. I wish I couldn't, but it's too late. Oh, well, doesn't that mean you go to jail? No, because I ran away. You know what? I just love to twerk. Holla, 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 holla. I've been testing out some new campaign slogans that are a little less obvious. I need a bogle for the glotch. Stop volution. Your face isn't my face. And that old man just took your spork. If you want boyfriend time, then you must be a girlfriend. I hate pervy records. Hmm, <laughs> I wanna use that. I made a hole and then barfed on the beach. <laughs> I made a hole and then barfed on the beach. I made a hole and then barfed on the beach. This great nation's like a pork pie. Juicy American. Gabe? Hey, who hates cigarettes? I do. Hooray for you. You know, originally Heidi wanted to marry a different fella. She wanted Herbert Spinecki. Yeah, he was into football. Herbert was beautiful. I mean, he was just always very open and sensuous with me, you know? Like on the weekend, he'd bring fruit and lay by the fire with me and tell me I looked like a French model. What? Why'd you even tell him that? Yeah, he's still a really close friend, the Spinacki. <laughs> I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. He's in the kitchen right now. Wait, he's here? Mm-hmm. Is he? Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. Least I know she's mine. <clears throat> I don't want to ask who the baby daddy. I know it's him. I need a bogle for the glotch. <laughs> uh, don't make us kiss now. Every day I worry all day. I was waiting in the bushes of love Something's waiting in the bushes for us Yeah, something's waiting in the bushes of love